Sentire Media. Hello you. You're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 131, Milan, Chaos in the Duchy, 1402 to 1412. In the last episode, we finally got round to talking about the Medici. We started following the rise of Giovanni di Bici de' Medici in 1402, when he was first elected prior of Florence. We had, however, mentioned that in that same year, another important event for Florence had occurred, and also for the rest of northern Italy for that matter. That was the death of the Duke of Milan, Gian Galeazzo Visconti, at the height of his power, when it seemed like the Duchy of Milan would spread all over northern Italy and had almost surrounded the Republic of Florence, tightening its grip on it. In truth, even if the first duke had survived longer, there is no guarantee he would have been able to set up a solid and long-lasting superstate in the north. We know by now very well how changeable the Italian lords were, changing factions and alliances as easily as the wind changed direction. It is no surprise, therefore, that when the Duke did die, the duchy descended into a mess. Now, I have more than once, perhaps too often, described the situation in Italy as a mess. The situation of the Duchy of Milan, and indeed a lot of northern Italy in the first half of the 15th century, is a mega mess, a gargantuan disorder. Consider that these two episodes that you're about to listen to are the drastic cut of several hundred pages of various texts. If you happen to see the source material, you would thank me. Without any further ado and groveling and excuses, let's get down to it. Gian Galeazzo had not ignored the problem of succession. He had set up the idea of a regency for his two main heirs, Giovanni Maria Visconti, born in 1388, and Filippo Maria, born in 1392. The fact that both men had the name Maria as a second name was due to an oath that their father had made to the Virgin Mary. This was either due to the nasty trick he had pulled by usurping his brother Bernabò, or because all of the sons from his first marriage had died. To this day, it's not rare for an Italian male child to have Maria as their second name. With both sons, the Duke had got the Council of the 900, the most comprehensive governing body of Milan, to swear allegiance to his sons as well as to him. He later set up a regency under his wife, Caterina, for the two boys. And as they grew, he must have already seen something different in his second son, Filippo, 
since his regency would expire at the age of 15, and that of his older brother at the age of 21. This meant that the regency of Filippo Maria, the second-born, would end in 1407, and that of his older brother in 1408. The Duke could look back on centuries of experience, telling him that dividing up lands between sons was probably not a good idea. So, he decided to divide up his lands between his sons. I obviously won't go into the details of it, suffice it to say that Giovanni would rule from Milan and Filippo would rule his bit from Pavia. Of course, the Duchess Caterina had to have a regency council around her because heaven forbid a girl can't get on with her job without a bunch of men interfering and mucking things up. One of the first things that the new council had to deal with was the fact that the Duke had left the financial situation in a shambles. They tried to get around this by using a system called a condono, a sort of tax amnesty. Basically, the idea was, whatever you owed the state, and however naughty you had been in getting out of paying your taxes, you could pay 50% of what you owed, and you were forgiven. And I only mention this because centuries later, another son of Milan, our good old Silvio Berlusconi, was a big fan of this system. The only issue was that the result of such an approach is, if you have been very naughty and evaded taxes, you can get out of trouble by just paying a part of what you owe. While, on the other hand, if you have always been good and paid all your taxes, nothing changes for you and you just continue paying all your taxes. It didn't work for Silvio, and it also did not work for the Visconti in the early 15th century. Interestingly, the factional fighting that would ensue in the next 10 or so years saw a start-up of the whole Guelph and Ghibellines business. However, by now the original labels of pro-papal Guelphs and pro-empire Ghibellines didn't really have the same meaning. Although both the papacy and the empire did play a role in the situation we are talking about, but that is one of the many factors that I've had to edit out. The controlled cities of the Duchy of Milan started to murmur, and rebellion started to bubble under the surface. Meanwhile, the Florentines were having a great time of it. They were managing to start to convert some of the ex-allies of Milan, big players such as the mercenary Alberigo da Barbiano, whose company had seen the start of such men as Braccio da Montone, and Muzio Attendolo Sforza. Remember to keep his surname in mind, although not necessarily the man himself. They also managed to convert one of the two Malatesta brothers, Carlo, but not Pandolfo. I mention them not because I want you to absolutely remember them, but because it's an interesting example once again of how a family can play both sides in a conflict. Also, the Malatesta were the lords of Rimini, and Rimini is one of my favourite places to go for a seaside weekend. 
I like it because you don't have to get bored out of your mind sitting on the beach and sweltering all day in the hot sun with sand all over you and in uncomfortable places, but you can also go and visit the medieval city and the Roman ruins. Anyway, in response to Florence sending in the Milanese ex-mercenaries, since there was still a war on despite the death of the old duke, the Milanese sent yet another mercenary by the name of Facino Cane. I mention him not only because he was an important player in the upcoming military and political events, although we won't go into that too much, but mostly because he has an amusing name. Indeed, Facino is Little Face and Cane is Dog, so he is Little Face Dog. Things in the city of Milan itself were getting worse, and soon enough a coup was staged around the figure of another Visconti family member, Antonio. As is the case with the clever political language of a coup, it was not aimed at the young Duke Giovanni Maria, nor at his mother, the Duchess, but at the evil and misleading counsellors, in particular the figure of Francesco Barbavara, permission to forget his name. Now the provinces which had been bubbling under the surface erupted in a spree of killing, pillaging and general settling of scores. However, before we continue there, a word from our sponsor. So, there we were, the provinces of the Duchy of Milan were bubbling out into rebellion. The mercenary captain Jacopo del Verme, James of the Worm, was sent out, but it ended up only being a temporary solution. Indeed, when he showed up, everyone would play nice and smile and pledge loyalty. Then, as soon as he left, they would go back to doing exactly what they had been doing before he arrived. Duchess Caterina was getting rather annoyed with the way the council was managing things, and thanks to the help of the captains Jacopo del Verme, Facino Cane, and Pandolfo Malatesta, she managed to take back control, arresting and decapitating some of the new councillors. Unfortunately for her, this did not have a lasting effect, and when another council took power in 1404, she was imprisoned and ended up dying of either plague or being poisoned. Now, Giovanni Maria, aged 16, and Filippo Maria, aged 12, were at the mercy of the unscrupulous men of the council that had done away with their mother. As things unfolded in the internal politics of Milan, the duchy continued to lose bits, such as Siena, Parma, and parts of Piedmont, to the greedy surrounding political entities. In one particular case, this greediness marked the downfall of the greedy person himself. Indeed, in 1404, Francesco Novello da Carrara took advantage of Milan's weak position to take back the city of Verona. Unfortunately for him, he did not factor into the picture the new situation with Venice, meaning that the Venetians were now very much interested in what was going on on the Italian mainland. 
One thing they particularly feared was a powerful state right on their border. Indeed, as long as between Venice and Milan there were a series of weak mini-states, that was all fine and dandy. However, if any of them got any big ideas in their head, well, then Venice would not be pleased at all. In this particular case, the Serenissima Republic took back Verona and for good measure chopped off the heads of the Da Carrara. After the Visconti had eliminated the Della Scala, Verona ended up being the end also of another great Italian family, the Da Carrara. Or at least the main line of the family that would not get back into power. The eternal strife and external complications continued until 1412. Well, they also continued after that, but we need to concentrate on 1412 for a moment. One certainty that came out of the chaos in this time was that Giovanni Maria was a bit of a rubbish ruler and nobody really liked him. He wasn't the nicest of people. You Game of Thrones fans might recognize someone in the following events. Indeed, when Duke Giovanni Maria managed to catch a nobleman who had betrayed him, Giovanni Pusterle, he had him fed to his dogs. Pusterle, however, managed to survive the ordeal, and so Giovanni had him beheaded in the public square and his body chopped up into bits, with his head stuck on a bell tower and the four remaining body parts sent to each of the city gates. It was a group of Ghibellines fearing that the changeable duke would throw his support behind the Guelphs who assassinated him on the 16th of May, 1412, stabbing him in the head and in a leg. His body was taken to the Duomo without much ceremony, except apparently for a basket of flowers donated by a prostitute, who would later be compensated by the new duke, Filippo Maria. The faction who had assassinated Giovanni now pulled out of their hat one of the usurped Bernabò Visconti's sons, Estorre, but, however you can forget him, soon enough Giovanni's younger brother Filippo showed that he was having none of it and he put an army together and managed to take Milan, once again uniting all of the duchy under a single ruler. So, here we are again, the rule of two brothers dividing the influence of the Duchy of Milan between themselves had now given way to that of a single new Duke of Milan, Filippo Maria Visconti. Once again, the new ruler would have to set about consolidating the existing lands and trying to expand them. At first, Filippo Maria did a decent job. Not only did he manage to start to consolidate what he had and start to plan to get back what he had lost, but he also managed to get his dukedom confirmed by Sigmund, king of the Romans. He could also take advantage of an unusual situation for the period, peace with both Florence and Venice. So there he was. Filippo Maria Visconti was the sole ruler of Milan. He had made peace with Florence and with Venice, and he could set about consolidating, and why not, expanding. What could possibly go wrong? 
Grazie. Thank you for listening. Thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters, starting with the first half of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level. Alison H, Amanda D, Anthony G, Bill S, Brian J, Carrie W, Selene, Cindy M, Dean V, Dominique T, Emily B, Federica R, Francisco A, Gabriel S, Graeme, Greg, Ignazio, Il Valentino, Jane J, Jeff M, Jeffrey W, Jesse and Sherry, Joseph S, Juan Diego, Julia G, Mary T, Old John in Milwaukee, and Orlando D. Also, let's not forget the Tippy Top Supergroup, Paolo, Lisa K, Andrew M, Brandon S, David A, Peter W, Kevin O, David L, Renat M, David C, Oak, and Caroline. And of course, Sen. Among those and others, welcome, welcome, welcome to new supporters, Drake, Ryan, Caroline, Mary Teresa, and Shelley Yu. Thank you, thank you, one and all. Remember, if you are so inclined, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com, and on the URL ahistoryofitaly.com, click through to our support page where you can become a Patreon supporter, or have a look at our maps and now updated timelines to help navigate our country's complicated history. Remember that if you haven't done so, you can go over and listen to our other podcast, the K-Rock Chelsea Hotel. And until next time, thanks again very much for listening and arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. 
and we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.